Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Odd Fishing with me, Trevor Topper. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. Got the man himself here today, Mr. Robert Hollis. Thanks for joining us, brother. How are you? Kia ora, my friend. How are you, Trev? Yeah, not too bad. It's bloody early, man. I usually do this in the afternoon, so uh, I'm on coffee number one for the day. So if, if the conversation's a little bit started and a little bit slow, I'll just have to scull it back and get into it a little bit quicker. Well, you don't You're know what's in this cup, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, I, I reckon I do know what's in that cup, Robert. I'll, and, and I'll, I'll... Yeah, I will say I've over the years this cup's become very handy because in different times of the day, no one will ever know. And I think <laughs> I'll just keep that forever. I'm just going to keep it right. Just about okay. there. Yeah, nice. So I wanted to ask you about um, your whiskey collection, mate. Is it in Aotearoa or is it in the US? It's in New Zealand. I put it in boxes and then uh, lockdown happened and it's been in storage for two, for almost two years now. So I've decided I'm going to have an, when I finally be able to get back in the country, I'm just going to have an ultimate whiskey tasting blowout and I'm just going to invite a bunch of buddies Every single bottle I'm going to open, <laughs> and we're going to sit there until it's done. Nice, <laughs> it's going man. to be an extravaganza. It's been, yeah, it'll be a celebration of, of sorts. Well, if you need somebody just to drop around and, and check on them, mate, I'm more than happy to uh, <laughs> to swing in and just make sure they're aging nicely and, you know, Deal. prepare for the event. Deal. So, um, so something I thought we'd kick off with is uh, I noticed you shut down social leading into the end of... 2021 so uh and and you've just kind of been pretty silent mate and i believe this is the first time we've heard or seen you uh for 2022 and i'm pretty pumped that you've decided to pick my little podcast to uh to do the big reveal but what happened mate tell us about your uh, your detox i i do it about twice a year and so last year i went off for about two months i deleted um everything off my phone and i think at a macro for me it's about self-validation knowing that what I choose to do, I choose to do instead of either, you know, the dopamine hit or the psychology of, of attention or likes or cloud or flex or just anything isn't the key driver. And so it's a self-test for myself to validate that when I choose to do things, I'm choosing to and just controlling my own time, not that I'm, I'm a victim of, um, you know, the the dangers of technology or whatever else as well. So um, my life's still just been exactly the normal, doing the stuff I'm doing behind the scenes and bits and pieces, but then um, publicly it'll do it. So yeah, just before um, New Year's, I just I was like, yeah, stuff. And so what I'll do when I do that, I literally delete all notifications of my, I'd never have notifications anyway, but I'll delete um, everything off my phone. Um, just nothing. And then- Completely I, gone. Completely gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I can, weirdly enough, do it uh, pretty happily, which is kind of, um, a lot of people that I've talked to about it, and I'll still be, you know, talking and messaging and doing everything that I'm doing regularly. But um, what usually happens by the second or third week, and it's happened already, is people get used to my content in their streams or things that I'm thinking, and then when they don't see it, they're like, "Oh, something must be up," and then they'll text me asking me if things okay. And so that started again this week. So it's, I've got a, I've got a cycle of about two weeks, and people start with like, "Wait a second, you know, like I haven't seen." A ramble or a content or a live or whatever and literally there's nothing wrong it's just i want to always own my time and energy with where i choose to put it and i want to make sure and validate it to myself that i'm doing it for the right reasons not because of you know addiction or anything else and it's it's a it's a selfishly it's a power it's a power thing against myself to to make sure that i'm um when i put my places and energies and places it's for the right reasons 
sorry for the long-winded thing, but not many people kind of believe that I can do it so easily, but it feels good for me that I can and not really even give a shit. Does your psychology change? Like, do you find those first, you know, 24, 48 that you're, uh, you feel a little bit of a disconnect or a detachment or something like that? Funny you say that, Trevor. The thing that I would notice is you get in a habit of every time you'd pick your phone up, you'd go to see if there's something new on it, right? And so all I did is obviously after it deleted there, I put down, um, I've got a little app called To Do, which tells like ideas and stuff. And so what I force myself to do is every time I pick my phone up, I brain dump what's in my head um, in real time. So it just becomes a little brain dump thing and then I'll go back through it and, and catch up the archive. Um, and there's some, some, some good stuff sort of comes out of it. So it's just, a, and the way I've been thinking about social now, um, like I remember, you know, five, six, seven, whatever years ago, I was talking about, you know, the content that I create on social is going to be for my children's children to be able to view and see what I did, how I did it. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that even more so that's going to be important as it goes through. So I think about it like do- documenting headspace, um, because digitally this of what we're doing right now will be seen by our children's 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 children and they'll be able to timestamp where you were, what you did, what was, and more importantly, what was going through your head, you know, and there'll be mm. a lot of greatness that people see in the future that came from the past, but there's been, just been so much to navigate through. Um, it's been a bit tricky. So yeah, um, but to answer the question, Trev, yeah, I, I basically swapped out checking for creating and I, mm-hmm. I think about um, creation over consumption and that's where i am um, that's where i got to that's that's pretty interesting you know um so you you'd almost have like your first maybe month or two's worth of content already stacked right so you're ready to go you've got the ideas that you've dropped through that period and you're thinking about <clears throat> i mean some of it's probably nonsense and you probably look at it and go think fuck i didn't post that but um I'm assuming some of it would be like, okay, this is these, these are the key things that are still relevant. I'm going to dive into these. And now I've had time to kind of distill that idea down and, and, and kind of form it a little bit better. Are you, are you, you know, would that be fair? Would that be right about uh, how you are doing that? Because I think that would translate to a lot of businesses and a lot of, uh, you know, startups and SMEs and other people who are still grappling with this idea of creating content for social. And, you know, that might be a nice little strategy for them just to go, look, don't go straight to the fucking feed go to a to-do or go to a list yeah i i work in sort of two spots if it's urgent and i feel it needs to get done i i'm very impulsive so i'll stop and just create and do like right then i have to get it out and as soon as it's out it feels like it's off my chest the other part is i sort of let them stag and build up a block so i've got like a a a spreadsheet ventures ideas of different businesses and stuff that i think about of you know you know why why aren't there you know better barbershops and airports when everyone's sticking around it's like i don't know why isn't there you know like just like but i've got you know over 200 of those venture ideas there and then in terms of uh, content ideas, it'll be the same thing. So uh, the way I think about it is um, I think of my brain kind of like a shotgun that just goes out and just shoots everything across, you know, like <laughs> flipping sport, tech, media, balance, Fano, life, like everything, right? And then it comes in and then I use these two things of just filtering it to then go into Sniper of like, okay, cool. What are we actually putting out next? And, mm. you know, that's one of the things I've struggled with for a bit because so many times people will say, you know, you've got to own a niche and you've got to do this. And, and I don't feel I want to be boxed by one slither of the things that I like and enjoy. And there's no reason I can't go, you know, go wide and deep. So, um, but to answer Trev, yeah, I am um, the having a process in place for how you 
you know, document and create is super mm -hmm. critical because then, you know, put into one simple spreadsheet, figure out, you know, what type of, um, what type of format, what type of series, what type of output, um, and then go from there. And that's nice. the thing I've done just for myself. And do you, do you follow that, uh, you know, when you're back on and you, you know, cause you've got a pretty, you know, uh, pretty like rapid fire torrent of content coming out, right? You're producing daily, you know, and multiple times a day sometimes. So you have a process or is it more that sort of shotgun approach where you've got, okay, these are my key kind of things that I want to dive deep on. So I'm going to take them a little bit slower. I'm going to think those ones through and, you know, is it a three-part series? Is it a quick short video? Is it is it an interactive thing? You know, you're going to put that all together and then there's the, this is hot, this is relevant, I need to get involved in this, this is in my lane and, and I've got an opinion that, that I want to share. Yeah, so I think about it in two ways. The first I'll, is everything I'll create, I'll usually have a batch load of stuff that I've already pre-created that could be kind of evergreen or can be, doesn't matter when it drops. Um, and then usually I'll, I'll schedule those in. With, I've used a bunch of different things. I'm using Buffer at the moment. Um, and basically then sensing the tone of the nation of, of energy, I'll either pause that and let things breathe or then come in and, and sort of, you know, randomize things out. But one of the things I did strategically which worked really well for me is logistically when i was traveling a lot more because obviously i'd be flying back and forth every four to six weeks from the states and and um in new zealand i'd be all over the show is what i would do is create a whole bunch of my content craft and curate it i would um distribute it and put it into the scheduled and then i'd randomize literally like facebook wow. linkedin whatever and just click go and just go on with my life and then, yep. but it would happen, why I would do it is because then one thing would be like, oh, I'm in Christchurch. So the other one would be like, I'm in Wellington, oh, blah, blah, blah. And no one would ever know where I was, but it was done by mm. design because I always feel really bad if I said, hey, I'm going to be in, um, you know, Wellington on Tuesday. And then all my Wellington career, I'd feel super shit for because I wouldn't have the Damn. time and bandwidth to do it. And then I feel like an asshole, right? Opposed mm. to, I'd rather, so yeah, for a while it was just, I wanted to, like, I don't want anyone knowing where I'm at or what I'm doing. Like, as visible as I am, like, no one knows who's in my circle. No one knows who's really in my family. No one knows who I talk to. No one knows really what I'm up to. But then publicly, I'm sharing my thoughts and thinking, whatever else as well. So um, I've told a bunch of people, you know, if you selfishly looked at what I did with my content from my personal stuff, but you use it for your business, you'd probably make more money, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah. I use a lot of things myself, yeah. One of the things I've learned a bit from you and, and following you over the years is the tactics you use less than the content because you've got your own style, your own flavor, uh, and, and, and the, the things that you touch on. And, you know, we're a little bit different in that respect, but I've always looked at the way that you go about this stuff and thought, you know, pick little cherries from it and gone, uh, you know, that, that's a really clever way of, of, of approaching that tactically, you know, and I can adopt that and, and try it myself. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's really important for a, you know, when you're following people who are, who are doing this well, it's not just about what are they saying or what's the content about or what are the topics. It's about how are they doing it? What platform are they choosing? What medium are they going through? How are they distributing that content? Is it a, is it a you know, massive like pillar piece of content and it's available in multiple mediums across multiple channels? Or is it a short, sharp burst on a particular channel through a particular placement? Yeah, it's a really good point, Trevor. And I think the bit that I've really thought about strategically when I craft these things, like I will craft, it sounds stupid, but there's like being posts that I'll craft, craft for days, like hours and just changing words and shifting things around. Because a lot of the time, if it's something controversial, 
I want to be able to not necessarily state the opinion on it, but I want to be able to open up the dialogue for people to question it, to have the conversation. And mm. especially when it comes to anything that's either, you know, um, political or emotional or anything, it's a really fine line of saying, like talking about the thing without alienating others, but planting a question that would make them see things with a bit of a different perspective and navigating that line of, you know, poking the bear intellectually, mm-hmm. I find really stimulating because it leads to better conversations from other people, which eventually lead to education, which eventually leads to, you know, things happening because people go into execution mode and start doing things a bit differently. But yeah, to your point with Trevor, I, I 100% craft and think about how to navigate that tightrope, especially as well when it comes to, you know, like business and relationships, half the crew I usually know anyway. So how do I navigate a conversation, potentially talking about a company that my buddy runs, that's bigger company is a piece of shit. Like how do I, how do I open a dialogue without, you know, disrespecting or um, alienating my own, you know, friends and network, but at the same time, you know, sparking the, those little seeds for, for conversation. So that's one of the things I've tried to navigate pretty well. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work like this. Sometimes I'll come out and just say something like, you know, <laughs> I was looking at a, you know, I'll, I'll say it here. Cause I stuff it. I just kind of don't give a shit, but, I was doing a bunch of digging and saw this photos of the rock and it was flipping clear as shit. The dude's been juicing on whatever. So I just put up, I put up there and I just said, it's pretty clear. He's he's having a bit more than chicken and rice, right? (laughs) Like with with a bit of humor. And I got flipping like just annihilated. Like how deep are And I was just like, like, and then someone was like, Hey man, like you just getting too negative. You can't, you can't be like that, blah, blah. Like, and, and I sort of sat there for a second. I'm like, you know what? should I tone back what my true opinion is because of the fear of the the backlash of others saying my opinion? It's like, no, yeah, no. I, I, at, the, at the end of it, I still genuinely feel he's on more than chicken and rice. So stuff it. <laughs> I'm going to say he's, yeah. but, but it comes at a, it comes at a cost. And, and, and I've, yeah. I noticed the rock was pretty quiet about that as well. Right. Like, you know, there was no <laughs> big, uh... <laughs> yeah, you've got to be careful. He's a, uh, he's a national treasure over there and there and, 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 they're running out of national treasures, so uh, so the ones that they've got, they, they get pretty passionate about. Um, He's a legend. Like, He's just on more than chicken and rice. That's all I was saying. Yeah, he's definitely on more than chicken and rice. <laughs> I wonder what you know. Ten years, the rock in ten years. I look at I look at um, Big Arnie now, and uh, I wonder what sort of health problems and, and stuff that he's you know he's he's given himself uh, through just years of punishing the body and punishing it and punishing it to make it. I mean, that's his brand. That's his everything. His, his entire world is built around this this juiced up, jacked up, um, you know, frame that he has. I get it. And, uh, and 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 I imagine that so many people aspire to the to that, right? Like that's that's one of the things about social that really kind of just does my head in. Is there's just so many people that are doing this. It's almost like the Me Too too. It's it's sort of oh, it, it, this is what a man looks like. This is what a woman looks like. This is what I need to become. And, Oh, it just fucking grates me. And it's one of the things that I hate about social. And every time I sort of come across that, I immediately just switch off and I can't take it. I'm like, this is just a plague that we, uh, that we have in our well, world. The, there's a danger to that as well, right? So my wife's an um, uh, emergency nurse. So she was at Starship and um, so she understands that world. And she's also worked at, um, you know, like a um, cosmetics place where they do sort of, you know, um, mm-hmm. like Botox and all the bits and pieces. And, you know, I've talked about, you know, I'll see different celebrities. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, dude, she's banging, whatever. She's like, oh, yeah, she's had all this other work done because they can tell because they know they're in the scene. And it becomes really dangerous because you think about, you know, 
you know, young females looking at the Instagram feed and they see a Kardashian talking about like skinny tea or some shit. And like this got me lose weight. It's like, uh, I think it's, it's like the chicken and rice thing, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's an underbelly, but you know, I, I think in the end it all, it all comes out always. The danger that I feel is um, when youth grow up with a distorted perception of what is reality and actually believe it when the, the disconnects just so, so, so far from that. And I think we need to do a better job at sort of not shielding, but making sure that the content that we see that's supposed to be authentic is actually authentic. And that's why I love, you know, looking at the, the, the rise of the authenticity of like, say a TikTok and stuff, right? Like it's not polished and stuff like Instagram with mm. Photoshop. It's more, here's me at my house doing some flipping whatever. Right. But it's, it's humanizing them in a better spot. Like it's with humor. And, and I think for that reason, it feels like it's got a little bit better. So, you know, you know, I've got, two daughters now two and four and so i think a lot more now about yeah, what yeah, impacts sure. them what influences them and also the psychology around how they do it and i get a bit you know not that i'm a flipping karen dad but like shit i can see through marketing pretty flipping quick and if i see stuff going <laughs> on i'm like stuff that <laughs> so so i've got a four-year-old too and uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to when you are eventually allowed back in the country and we can catch up outside of this sort of you know live medium and, and let our daughters run around I think about this all the time. Like, to what level am I going to allow my little girl to engage? Like, what what is a what is a happy place? And by the time she gets to an age where it becomes a thing, we're going to be so fucking deep in the metaverse that it's that it's going to be a completely different playing field, right? So, I have this theory that right now we see these, uh, you, you know, you, you see these stories, and I've seen it myself, and I'm sure you have too. And being in the states, I'm sure it's even more prevalent. Prevalent is these these kids are, are spending hours to get the perfect Instagram shot or make the perfect TikTok video. And, and, and it's like a whole day's event just to post that one piece of content. When we jump into the metaverse and we're all walking around as rabbits and bears and fucking whatever else, uh, how do you think this plays out? You know, what, what are your thoughts around that? I don't think it ends well mm. because I'm still learning. I'm still very, I'm not going to sit here and say my flipping the uh, metaverse expert but this concept of, you know, having your idea, idealized self of, you know, I want to be six foot five. I want to be buff. I want to be able to be this. I want to have no imperfections on my face. I want to dot, dot, dot. You know, the metaverse is going to give people the opportunities to craft and create their perfect being that they wish they could have in their fantasy that doesn't actually necessarily exist. Mm. The danger with that eventually, or what will happen over time is when, you know, when they get consumed and, seeing that image is when they go into the real world it's different you know and that's why yeah like i I think it's super um interesting where you know the realities of like you see the instagram polish shot but then you see the behind the scenes of actually what looks like or the model in reality and that already exists from instagram to the real world think what it's going to be like from the metaverse to the real world too the danger i actually feel with it is people will start to choose a fake world, not the real one (laughs) because they can feel their acceptance or their tribe or look the way they want or feel the way they want or whatever. Um, And that's going to be a dangerous thing that we've got to balance, right? Like, you know, if you look at this, you know, um, the, 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 what's it called? The social dilemma or whatever it is. Yeah. I was going to bring him up. Yeah. Yeah. um, If you, if you think about the psychology behind, 
you know, how people have been using social media and bits and pieces, it's going to be that on steroids in that next mm. realm because people will be able to, you can already buy virtual land in the metaverse. You can like start, you people are starting to get jobs in a place which doesn't even exist yet. So I think there's going to be a clash of, um, I would think of it like, when Snapchat first came out, like one-to-one -one closed off messaging with dick pics and whatever, like, cool, park that. Facebook comes along fully open to all to communicate and connect everyone. But then what's happened over time, it sort of found its way in the middle, right? Then you've got the stories, you've got private groups, whatever. So, but both of them, one, technically, with two totally different things. One was fully private, one was fully open. I think we're going to have this tension that battles off between this next digital world versus the real world, what is or isn't real, but then technology is going to be slithering along. Is it all the way on one side where I'm in the metaverse, I may be, you know, flipping 200 kgs at home, you know, just being a piece, but then in the metaverse, I'm like the man. I'm the rock. And everyone knows me. I'm the rock in, in that world. Two, you know, headsets that, are, that have AR, VR into it. And so I don't know. It's still super early days. I'm starting to dig into it a bit more. Um, but, my interest is also how does the algorithm play into this, right? So these things are getting, you know, we talk about this event and, and uh, you know, the singularity, the moment where the machines become as smart as humans. And I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit of a cynic and a, a little bit um, crazy about this stuff, but I actually think we've already passed that moment. I think it's impossible to turn these algorithms off now and there'd be no way you could. The only way to shut it down would be to kill electricity worldwide, right? So if these algorithms are already smarter than us, they're already playing to our, you know, desires, our, you know, bottom of the brainstem that we talk about, uh, and, they, and they understand that, they've been focused on that, and they've learned how to do that really well. When we jump into the metaverse and we have this completely, you know, anything's possible um, opportunity, we're going to have our own ideas and our, and our own lens and and, and how we want to be perceived or how we want to engage with this new medium that we're going to come into. But what I try and wrap my head around about what keeps me up at night is how do the algorithms want us to do that? Because it's going to be a world where they're more in control of this shit than we are. Right. And we're going to be, I mean, we already are Look at you know, you look at your newsfeed, I look at my newsfeed, very, very different. And my reality is different to your reality because the information going into my brain that, that, that stimulates and changes the way I perceive the world is very different to yours and very different to my wife's and, everybody else, right? So we all have this almost siloed kind of universe that we that we believe to be real. When we jump, when we add the, the complete fictitious, anything's possible, uh, you know, environment of the metaverse, that's also being fueled and propelled by these machines that are now much, much smarter than we are. How does that play out? Like, you know, is that the world in which we become enslaved to tech or is that the world that we become completely liberated and, and we start to... Uh, at scale solve the problems of, of society and we start to communicate and connect much better at scale. Uh, you know, it, it's a really com complex kind of world. It's a crazy time no, it's, of life. It's pretty simple. The answer is it won't go as good as you think because the people driving it are driven by profit and that is driven by psychology for more eyeballs and more attention, not on positivity. And like, what if the best thing to do is actually not have a cell phone for a week? What if the best thing was not to be engulfed in, you know, constant consumption that yeah, means well, that would be, be using the product odds with well, <laughs> exactly. that would be at odds with the with the core programming right because the algorithm only exists if we engage with it if we refuse to engage with it then it's, it's completely isolated right so yeah so, so I, the way i 
think about it and I've been saying for a little bit is, you know, old school is going to be the new school. You know, I've got this idea for a bar called analog and you're not mm. allowed a cell phone in it. It's got no cell phone. Mm. It's got no. Faraday got no cage. Tell you. It's just, it's just like off the flipping, off the flipping grid. I think, you know, the, the best moment in anyone's life, I don't feel will be that I can remember. It feels like it's in the real world. It's seeing it and doing mm. it. Not, it's not to say that the future isn't, you know, everything's digitized. Like I live and breathe technology. I get that. But simultaneously, you know, I used to be a professional snowboarder. So I've traveled the world. I've seen shit. I've sat on top of mountains and looked. I've been through avalanche debris. I've like seen, felt real shit. And mm. I've got a different perspective on, you know, nature and mellow so and as far as hyped as i am i understand woosah shit i love the sun coming up if i'm out with the boys going for a surf i understand you know my feet going through the the the, the beach touching the sand like i get those things and i think instinctually i hope that those core grounding effects of what's make us human will, will continue to stay there so as far as we go tech tech wise it's great i just think there's going to be you know, a resurgence way through. And so at the moment, you know, social came through and everyone goes into it. We've now started to see the consequences of it. It's only taken mm -hmm. in the big scheme of humanity. Yeah, 10 years. It's only yeah, taken yeah. 10 years for us to figure out that like too much of the shit's not good, right? Mm -hmm. It's taken a hundred years to figure, oh, too much oil destroying the, the ozone, probably not good. Like we're having these small blips for big realizations. I hope that um, over time, this, this next wave, maybe instead of taking five years, I think it'll probably take five. Or 10 years will take five you know mm -hmm. we'll see we'll find yeah. out though we'll find out i think it's important that people like you and me that lived in a world before mobile phones and before the internet even um you know we have a bit, a bit of a responsibility to keep that grounded and say you know like yes there's a there's an entirely uh, fantastical world where anything's possible and it already exists in more or less ways like i look at my son who's wildly into gaming right and he um he spends a lot of his time plugged in big screen you know killing things and talking to his mates and having a fat old time, which is great, but too much of, a, of that is a, is a bad thing. And he's already almost in the metaverse in a way, right? Like he's, he's, there's a, there's a digital representation of him in this environment and he's communicating with people that he knows. And so I don't see that as being too far reserved from what the metaverse and what, what's coming. It's just an amplification of what kind of already exists. And we see the, uh, the negative and the positive, right? So there's a, there's now a, a world where you can earn money as a fucking gamer. Like, could you imagine when you were 12 years old and someone said, you're going to be able to make a living playing video games? You'd go, fuck off, I could make it. <laughs> See, mum, let me play. I'm working, you know? Um, and, and he kind of has that attitude. In fact, I have a cousin who's son, so I have a nephew who's a professional gamer. Um, and then there's the other end of the spectrum where uh, I know people who have kids that are grossly overweight, terrible health problems, locked in a room for 16 hours a day, barely come out, barely talk to anyone and just are plugged into this world constantly. So, yeah, it's a, it's a I think, and, and there was a long way to come back around and say, I think people like us have an important responsibility to make sure that there is a balance and that there is this come back to nature, come back to reality and say, hey, you know, this shit's important. This is real. That stuff's fun, but this is real. Uh, and it's important that you always keep that. Well, I, th I think from a parenting side, no, you know, no parent's perfect, definitely not, not myself, but I know that from, from my childhood, the, the, the best things that shaped me were like me memories and moments. So from a parenting side, I'm like, okay, how do we create better memories and moments for them in the mm -hmm. real world that's, that have depth that, that become these touch points where, yes, they go and experience all this other stuff, but they know what it's like, you know, 
you grow up, but you go travel the world, do all this stuff, but you still know what your mum's roast chicken and potatoes are like on a Saturday, Sunday night with gravy mm-hmm. when you sit down with the family. Like, you know those things. So I think maybe like those are ways to create a bit of you know a bit of fortress of memories around them to like help shape and box them in so it's not you know they don't just can relate to what exists digitally but yeah yeah it's an interesting i mean we don't know we will find out and you know time always goes undefeated and you just hope that decision makers are making the right call for not just necessarily profit but for the benefit of you'd, you'd hope yeah that humanity. scares me right like government big tech getting together, um, you know, there's this whole pandemic has kind of accelerated that. I was watching uh, uh, Russell Brand um, put out a bit of content about the chipping, right? So I don't know if you um, read much or went into, when I was at uni, I, was, I was smoked way too much weed and got into like Nostradamus and Nietzsche and all the philosophy and stuff. And you know, Nostradamus predicted that at some point someone will chip us and that'll be the beginning of the end. And now I'm seeing this content coming through. Your COVID passport can now be just inserted into your hand on a, you know, on a small chip the size of a grain of rice and there's people queuing up to have this done so that they don't have to open their phone and show a fucking picture. And it's like, you know, this, this stuff is just spiralling, right? Like this big tech government getting together, uh, big pharma playing in, you know, trillions of dollars involved. Uh, doesn't sit well with me. Well, money and power, it's always the same thing, right? Follow the money, you follow the power. You follow, Usually f- politics is right behind it. You know, then if you go all the way back, yes, there's Nostradamus there. Then, you know, in the, the Bible, they talk about the mark of the beast and the scans and bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Like, that shit's here. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're living so, in that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they are. So um, do I, net, net, do I feel there's more good then bad come from integration of technology into life yes uh are there some bigger red flags that we need to be aware of yes but i also do i do i think there are more people aware at a macro of what those things are earlier that have been vocal 100 so like yes and yes in the past there'll be bad things happening that no one knew about because those get that that cared didn't know and those that knew didn't care now those that care can know and those that um, don't care know that other people know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think, it, right? yeah, yeah I, I think there's a, there's more, um, I think we've got a better shot at trying to make things a bit better for all for the future now than we definitely did a hundred years ago, just because it feels like, you know, distribution of power and information and technology. Um, is so as much as, you know, want to have a rant fest on the potential fear of the future, I also mm-hmm. think simultaneously, pretty flipping awesome you can go into a website called youtube and learn anything you want to know that would have cost you you know hundred thousand dollars 10 20 years ago years. yeah so net yeah. net tech's and, and good the, bunch the blockchain of red flags. is interesting right like this decentralization of information um taking the control of information away from a handful of people with, with their own vested interests and, and and spreading it out i love the transparency of it so i've started dabbling in the world of nfts because everybody is and, and you know, it's, it's something that's new and it's, it's in my lane, so I'm, I'm into it. Um, and it, it, what, I'm, what I'm most excited about is now you can, everyone can see, like every transaction, everything that's going on, it's available for everybody to see. So I started, you know, pontificating on this and going, well, what does that look like in, in, in five years' time? Do we have government ledgers? Um, there's an interesting, uh, uh, can't remember her name out, uh, the digital minister of Taiwan, Audrey Tan. 
I don't know if you followed this, um, but Taiwan's the first country in the world to have a digital minister, somebody who's in charge of the digital fucking uh, policy for the government and how the government needs to, to use digital, which the fact that there's only one country in the world with that in 2022 scares me, right? Like how well, we we're going to have the CTO. Remember, we were going to have the CTO a couple of years ago, which didn't go mm. down too well. But we were supposed to have, you know, chief technology officer for a similar purpose. But yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, and, and, and Audrey's doing some really, really interesting things by building transparency into government. Uh, so, so she's de- deployed some the ability, and, and I've been thinking about this for years. Like, why don't we have the ability for all of us to be involved in the decisions in government that matter to us, right? So, I can validate myself with my government ID login, my real me login in New Zealand or whatever it looks like in whatever country you're in. And I can have my say. There's a, there's a, you know, here's the bills that are being discussed at the moment, have your vote. And we get some public opinion and some ideology around how people are, would like to shape their, their world that they live in. So Audrey's doing that. The other thing she's doing is every meeting she has is recorded and put on for anyone to watch. So, so every single meeting she ever goes into is publicly available and, and, so, you know, there's a lot of interesting things coming out in the way that we use tech. So there's, there's definitely people who are, who are thinking about this stuff and going, we need to take action. And, and, and these things, are, like you say, like you can go on YouTube and learn whatever you want. The possibilities of tech are fucking exciting. And that's why people like you and me love it so much, right? We, we look at it and go, fuck, this is amazing. But the, the, the accountability is going to be, yeah, it's, it's good. But usually in big, big ecosystems, that have a lot of power and money and politics behind it. Not many people want the public to see what's actually happening. So what I've personally come to, to see and realize and know is, you know, whatever you see publicly usually be, has been pre-planned out and has been crafted by others. Usually what's actually happening has got nothing to do with the things that you actually seen publicly and the stuff that you finally seen publicly has been happened behind the scenes a while ago. So you, there's ago, always, yeah. there's always a lag between What's actually happening and what you see is what I, I guess is probably the best way to say it. So you've seen that now New Zealand, which I'm sure you're following very, very closely, and in the US. So uh, uh, we get limited information. I'd love to, to hear from you being on the ground in San Fran, having been following what's going on here in New Zealand with the pandemic and the way that um, government policy and political control over the, over the population is impacting everybody's life now and how that how that fits in with the US. Can you paint a little bit of a picture for us, mate? Like, what's it look like over there? Yeah, and I, I guess my view comes from the fact of, um, you know, I my wife's a nurse. Uh, I got, our whole family got COVID. I've been through it. It was flipping gnarly. It stuffed mm. me up. I think if I was, you know, 60 or 70, I would have died. <laughs> so from that side, yeah, shit's real. Okay, so maybe just park that for a second. Then when it comes to the science, the politics of it, um, personally, uh, my view is, you know, do I think everyone should, you know, get the vaccine if it's going to make it better for them? Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. But do I feel that anyone has the right to force anything into your body? No, I don't. Like, <laughs> so I see it from both sides, right? Like, yes, this is the right thing to do. Does, you know, science without getting too far into the rabbit hole, like, yes, the other side. And so in some weird ways, America's kind of, at the start was, uh, and I think globally was fear-based of, we don't know what this is. We're fearful that we're seeing the visuals that we're seeing looks really, really, really bad. And we don't want that here. So out of fear, you block things out. And that was the right call because no one knew there wasn't enough data. America, on the other hand, I sort of joke about this, Trevor, is 
it says it's the United States of America, but it was anything but United. Like, <laughs> anything the but United. States of America. Oh man, it was, it was just anything <laughs> but United. Um, but what was f- kind of the, the question I'd have was if there was different power, like let's say if it was Bush, if this was Clinton, or if this was Reagan mm. or Nixon or any of these others, how would the narrative have shifted and would science have got politicized as fast as it did the way it did? Mm. And I don't think it would have. I don't think so. it would have been as much um, thing. So you got to put that into it. And then when you look at, um, you know, the, the stubbornness of, and not stubbornness, but from an American's perspective, the rights of their freedom to be able to do their thing. I get that, you know, as well. So I see it from both. And so now what's going to end up happening is, Basically now it's saying, you know, get vaccinated, sort your shit out and open back up because we got, we got to live. We can't, you know, that, that's basically it. And then in a mm-hmm. lot of places, it's just like America, you can't tell me what to do stuff for you guys because it got politicized. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I think you'd find an interesting map if you drew, you know, post-Trump from vaccinated versus Republican versus Democrat versus vaccinations of parts of the country. And that mm. would almost validate even more the fact of, unfortunately, it feels that like science did get politicized. So if you painted vaccinated people or states red and unvaccinated people or states blue you'd, and, and lay the, the, the political map over the top, you'd pretty much see a, a fairly, like a carbon copy. Is that what you think? I, I think there'd be a lot more similarities in the data sets of those two things, which would go to mm. prove my thesis that unfortunately mm. um, science got politicized for right or wrong. Because I, I see yeah. both sides. Like I, I mm. understand freedom. I understand, you know, the, the rights to your body and your choice and all that. Like I get that. Um, but, you know, once again, the, you put uh, a lot of money with a lot of power and a lot of stuff behind it. And, um, you know, usually there's a bit more happening behind the scenes. So how does business adapt to this? Like here in New Zealand, we and, I, and I'm, I'm going to make the assumption, I don't know, and that's the question, I guess, is must be quite similar in the US where we've just had two years of basically government support, right? We've printed a whole shit ton of money and fed it to the population to say, don't, you know, go and feed your family, go and do what you need to do. You can't go to work. Uh, and then there's certain businesses that were like, well, we need you, you can go to work. And then there's been businesses that have been the right business in the right time. These anyone that's sort of been in the digital space that, that's provided digital infrastructure and digital services to, to, to facilitate remote commerce has thrived. So how does a small business or a startup in 2022, what should they be thinking about, in your opinion, as a result of the pandemic of the last two years? How, how has, you know, if you were going to start, you've got, you said you've got a list of a couple of hundred different business ideas that you've jotted down over the last you know, couple of weeks. If you were to pick the one that, that appeals to you most and launch it today, what would you be thinking about that you wouldn't have been thinking about two years ago? I was always thinking the, the, the same. Th- so t- two thoughts, Trev. The first was, I always felt, this for me personally, I always felt that when I physically got on a plane from Auckland to the States or wherever else, I would lose my leverage locally because I physically wasn't in the room. Mm. When lockdown happened, I realized that I was halfway around the other side of the world in a room, lockdown with a desk, a laptop, and an internet connection. And I realized mm. that everyone in New Zealand, my competitors, my whatever else, was in a room with an internet, laptop connection, and a laptop, and a, laptop mm-hmm. and a desk. I'm like, huh. So level their assets field. are the same as mine, level playing field. And not only that is because of, I guess, you know, from my previous, you know, history snowboarding, traveling the world, whatever, for 10 years, I've literally lived out of a suitcase for over 15 years. <laughs> so I know how this shit works. I know yeah. 
I understand the game. So I, I kind of use that as I went from defense to offense and that sort of thing. So, but to answer your question, if you look at some of the biggest skill sets, like I was talking to um, someone who's an HR, executive HR recruitment the other day, they signed on someone without even meeting him for $3 million in stocks, three hundred and fifty, about half a million dollars New Zealand dollars. And he lives on a farm in Idaho or some shit. Never even met the dude. And he- That would not have been possible two years ago, right? Not have been possible. And so what's weirdly happening from for those that are talented as individuals for your skill set can now become multimillionaires anywhere in the world as long as you've got the internet connection. Mm. So the whole gun to your head of have to be in the office, no, nah, doesn't exist. The whole mm -hmm. headspace of you need to be in the city in a cubicle doesn't exist. Four, because what's happening is, what's happening in the States anyway, is businesses that are forcing employees with a gun to the head to come into the office, they're just going, Sweet, I'll just go somewhere else that can let me stay at home because I've shifted out of the city now. I'm now yeah. in the country or I'm now in the suburbs and I've got my three kids and my got a new dog and I've got a backyard now and whatever. Mm -hmm. Stuff that, you know. So so the the talent pool has totally shifted from hyper localized physically in person to potentially globally. Globally. Mm -hmm. So totally now great. they're saying, Oh, we don't need an HR things. Maybe we want to put, you know, a lot of stuff which had happened in media landscape a long time ago let's put our editors in a different time zone. So after we film it, the editors go to work while we sleep and then the, the edits are done by the time we wake up. Mm. So but, so certain businesses are getting more efficient. So to answer the question, Trevor, I would say, um, think about the skill set of what you have and is it a local or global skill? And then if it's a product or business, is it a local or global market actually? Mm. You know, if you ask those two questions to start with, I think you'd probably be in a bit of better headspace to, to kick off with. So do you think seat.com is now truly a global job marketplace? Uh, because I remember, you know, say three, four years ago on the job hunt, looking for my next role, whatever, it was hyper-localized, right? It was like, you know, who's in Auckland? You know, who are the companies that I'd like to work for? What what are the roles? What are the opportunities? Here's the three or four I've got to pick from. Which one am I going to go for? Now, I agree with you. I can go, well, fuck, I, I want to work for this company and they're based in Germany and that doesn't fucking matter because I can work from my Auckland office and just switch my time frame up so that I'm on their time zone if I need to be. And now I can be involved with projects, businesses, things that I'm really, really into and they can be engaged with me too because I've got certain skills and I'm, you know, good at whatever. So... Yeah, I think that's a huge one for startups is how does the digital world of talent and resource play into your local or, or, or your business or your venture that you're doing now? And are there are you compromising the quality of your business and the quality of your product or service to stay local when you could be fucking accelerating your growth, accelerating the value of your of your of your work by bringing talent in from from wherever it is in the world and opening your mind up a little bit to that. So that's a big one, I think, that people probably aren't really considering. It's awesome. Anything else that you've seen? Like, I know you're kind of stuck in the US, so, uh, you know, and I want to get into that before we finish up, and I'm noticing that we're running out of time. Um, but before we get into that, is there anything else that you think that startups, small businesses that, that should be thinking about right now uh, from what you're seeing across both countries? It feels like there's a lot more scalable and available software to do basic shit fast or automated. 
mm-hmm. it feels like so many touch points of like I just saw a website yesterday, which basically can convert any file or media into anything on any output, whatever. Right. And I'm like, that's, they would have taken you know, in the front side we, days, we, how, how much the, hassle was that? Oh, like what you'd, we transfer it to an editor, then they go to download it and then convert it and then back again, all these other things. So there's these hacks for time. And I think, um, there is a lot, like I'll do simple things like, um, I think about the workflow of certain projects, whatever I'm into, then I custom curate different things to save me time on. And what would take a minute could take me three seconds. Mm. So technology, I'm like, okay. So probably the things I'd actually ask is if you were to whiteboard out the processes that existed in your current business in terms of, I reach out to this person by clicking that button and I got have them in this CRM to then do that thing. To Like if you just workflowed out every touch point with everything, and then ask yourself how could technology actually save time in those things? I think you'd you'd almost blow yourself away in terms of some of the automations that are available through either mm. Zapier or bits and pieces. Um, at all, like I'm really, I'm not saying everything can be automated because you still need the human touch and curation. But so much of I'd say ninety percent of small businesses probably don't. I'd say probably ninety five percent of business, small businesses aren't proactively looking to create like genuine efficiency through available technologies just because they don't know where to look you know yeah and so i would get really inquisitive around how to save time through you know shortcuts automations workflows all those other stuff like that's just such a especially when you're a one-man band or one-woman band totally um 100 not just efficiencies but skills as well right like there's tech that can do things like you would have had to pay a, a marketing agency to to develop and create a campaign and then publish it across the, the the networks. Now you can get a tool that will do that. You can do it yourself, and you don't need any design skills. You don't need any. You know what I mean? Like there's all these little things that previously would have required you to hire somebody or pay a third party or another resource to do. I, I sort of encourage people to say, you know, stop and think about it. Like there's probably a tool or an app for this that will empower you to do it yourself and do it faster than it would take to actually pay somebody else to do it. So you're not only saving money, but you're also saving time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other, like to get to your point, when I was at H&D, I mean, H&D is all about automation. They're in the HubSpot um, ecosystem. And what we used to talk to businesses about is, you know, don't try and do it all at once. Like people come in and they go, oh, we've, we're paying for this marketing automation. We're paying for this automation CRM. Let's go, you know, and they want to try and dive in and do it all. And we say, look, slow down. You know, and, and just try maybe one thing a month. Or if that's if you can go a bit quicker than that, maybe one thing every two weeks. Just pick one little thing and map it out, get it right, put it in place, automate that, and then move on to the next thing. And by the end of the year, you've automated 12 processes or, or, or 24 processes. And you've probably replaced an FTE and saving yourself 80, 80 or 100 grand a year by just going systematically, slowly, and not trying to do it all at once because people dive in and go, oh, and then they get halfway through it and it's a fucking shambles and they've created more work again and then they've got to pay somebody else to fix it up and slow, steady. Um, I think that's really important. Right. I totally agree. So when are you back, mate? As soon as it opens up and I don't need to get locked in a flipping room, then I'll be hey, over. Are you still in the lottery? Are you still playing just into Powerball? Like. I- <laughs> I get, I tried when they did that virtual thing and I was like 30,000 after like 30 seconds, but I've had um, too much of an emotional roller coaster in the last two years. So I've had you like got hit real five. hard. You had a huge opportunity that slipped away, yeah. you, right? Because so I had shit. five, yeah, yeah. So I had five different trips that were sort of penciled to come back um, for a bunch of different stuff and none of them rolled. And I was like, you know what? I don't have the, the emotional bandwidth. 
I don't have the emotional bandwidth anymore. Don't have it. So pause, stuff that, just flipping, you know, play more golf, go shredding at Tahoe, go to Disneyland, do whatever, like just <laughs> reset. Yeah, and so that's kind out. of, yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of what I've been doing. So I'm um, fortunate enough, you know, good team, good stuff bubbling. But, um, you know, I've, I've been back and forth from the States for the last 20 years. It's just the weird thing for me is logistically, I haven't like high-fived and hugged my bros and gone for a surf and had beers and had a pizza down at the waterfront and, you know. You haven't been into the chat of that two years, mate, like. Don't know, <laughs> yeah. don't know what you're talking um, about. I don't know what you're talking about. So, the Jacinda Powerball is an interesting one, right? Is that happening in the US as well? Um, or over there, I can fly into the US, and if, I, if I'm a US citizen or you know whatever, I can just come back. Yeah, you can pretty much fly in and out. Um, I, I went, I did one trip to Vegas a couple of months ago and around the states was mellow and everyone's been flying and out they open up more international routes but usually the the kind of the workflow is you need to be yeah i think you're basically double vaxxed and maybe a booster and i think you need to do your test just before you leave and stuff as well so that's mm -hmm. kind of the the the, the stock standard that's domestic feels like um or for, for traveling out for some of them will be yeah basically double then booster and then, because I've, I've had to document the the booster thing too, in case they they want that as well. So, um, I got my booster. I'm like, sweet, you know. But um, yeah, it's, it's it, there is no uniformed singular approach with how everyone's doing it. So there's you know 50 states and 52 whatever states in America. Everyone's on their own program. <laughs> Bunch of hundreds of countries in the world. Everyone's on their own program. You know, like so. It's, it's still a wild west with that. And I think mm -hmm. at the end of the day, net, net, everyone's intentions is pretty good. But, you know, you can't please everyone all the time. And you, there's going to be, you know, now there's becoming things like, you know, I saw, I think it was it Egypt or Italy or someone saying, you know, if you're over 60 and unvaccinated, it's going to cost you 50 bucks a month or something. Like as a, as a fee, like an anti-vax fee. So that's, that's bringing to bring up a whole bunch of different things. So who knows how this ends? I just, um, I hope humans in the end do the right thing. I'd hope. Yeah, it's a, it'd be a really tough time to be a decision maker, right? Like a lot of people put shit on politicians and everybody's got an opinion and it doesn't matter what decision you make, you're always going to piss half the population off and please half the population or, you know, this is sort of uh, polarisation of, of communities and COVID seems to really have accelerated that. But there is no, like I, I agree, there is no right and wrong here. And I think you've got to provide the tools and allow people to do, make the best decision they can. Uh, but it's very hard when you've got expats like yourself who just want to come home and spend some time with their family and, and uh, you know, actually do things that boost the economy here and do all of the right things. And you can't. And yet there's, in the lottery, there's probably tourists that are getting in on the lottery and, uh, and are coming in and just having a holiday, right? So it's a, it's a fucking crazy situation yeah i really feel for it no no i get it i think that at a top recap of that would be talent and capital are now looking to exit new zealand because of how they've seen it and there's a bit of hypocrisy where entertainment let's say you know all blacks competitors that can come in and out without a two-week quarantine or whatever mm -hmm. it may be when entertainment is prioritized over people who can't get back for funerals, people who can't get back to see the births of their children, people who have been separated from their kids, people like that's, I feel going to create potentially generational resentment towards mm -hmm. certain people because 
it's clearly that certain things are being prioritized over others. And so, you know, that's why I don't get into the old politics, but what I can tell you is it's become very clear that um, everyone's not happy with how it's gone. And I, and I think if I look at it, I think when the world was paused and New Zealand was going, we had a massive massive opportunity that could have been a commercial magnet for global mm -hmm. commerce to come to new zealand businesses to get set up to get Ruven, whatever uh, and what's yeah. happened what's happened is now like i know people with lots of money they're looking to leave they're looking to take the cash out as fast as they flipping can for a variety of reasons and talent are looking now if you can work virtually why do i need to flip and be there why can't i mm. take into actually telling that skill set so what could have been an asset of bringing capital and talent in weirdly enough after two years is is actually sending capital and talent out, and I think that's a that's a big danger which the country is going to have to navigate over the next um over the next decade. Yeah, definitely very interesting, and I, and I think we've got to, we've got to kind of wrap this up. And I'd love to go more into this, and maybe we can do this another time, mate, and 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 and, and talk about it. But definitely, if you have an opinion around this, um, I'm seeing redistribution of the population, redistribution of talent, exactly what we're talking about here, and the impacts of that are going to be profound over the next five to ten. So jump in, be online. I'll be online after this. Anyone's got any comments or wants to get any value out of it, let's let's have a chat. Uh, look, mate, we've got to wrap it up now. I know you've got a hard stop, so um, thank you for taking some time out. What time is it over there? Uh, one almost one pm. So only three oh, three yeah. hours ahead. So in the in your summer, it's easier than winter because then it will go to five hours, which makes it a bit trickier. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you can, you can go and have some lunch. I'm going to go and have my second cup of coffee and, uh, and let's get into the day, bro. And, uh, look, I'm really looking forward to when you can finally be back in, uh, in the land of the long white cloud, mate, we can sit down and have a beer and, and not have to do it through masks and multiple vaccinations and have, you know, chaperones keeping us a uh, two meters apart. Heard that. Love you. Hey, really appreciate the chat. And yeah, it's, as I said, it's just, you know, my opinion, my view, not the smartest in the world, but I've seen and done some shit. So it gives me a different perspective, I guess. Yeah, thanks for sharing, bro. Talk to you soon. Later, brother. Peace. See ya. Bye.